Welcome to another episode of the Emergency Docs. As a general disclaimer, please keep in mind this podcast does not constitute medical advice, but is purely for the purposes of education. I'm Dr. R. And I'm Dr. Y. In today's episode, we will be introducing a topic near and dear to my heart, exercise physiology and medicine. Now this topic can and does fill PhD course loads. Rather than go into the weeds, we're going to focus on one topic while also discussing some of the more memorable experiences with endurance activities. We thought we'd bring up this topic now because this was supposed to be the week of UTMB, or Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, one of the most storied endurance events in the world. Unfortunately, the race was canceled this year, along with the rest of everything this year due to the pandemic, but that doesn't mean we can't still prepare for next year with some race prep. So... The two main topics we're going to focus on today are hydration for endurance activities and, to dovetail off this, electrolytes for endurance activities. So these two topics are the continued source of much debate in the exercise physiology world. We are going to do our best to relay what the current expert consensus notes regarding these issues are. But just as a word of caution, this is still an evolving field, and while I feel fairly confident that the science around these topics is becoming more unified, I also wouldn't be surprised to learn 10 years from now that everything we know is incorrect. (laughs) But that's kind of the fun of it. So that's the core of why I fell in love with science. These fundamental questions, which are so seemingly easy to test a certain hypothesis, have definitive answers that have eluded us for decades. Exactly. So with all that said, I can tell you, with consensus medicine and science aside, I have years of endurance sports behind my back, and I have done many experiments on myself. And at the very least, I can relay to you all what works for me. Okay, Dr. R, let's start with some stories. Can you think of any time during your crazy adventures that maybe you just didn't nail your hydration planning? Oh my gosh. I have messed up my hydration and electrolyte replacement so many times. Running, hiking, climbing, they all require this like perfect level of hydration where you're hydrated enough that you perform well, but not so overhydrated that you have to pee every five minutes. I can tell you I'm pretty sure I once gave myself rhabdo or rhabdomyolysis the first time I ran 18 miles. I knew I felt really bad and it was probably the hardest run in my entire life, but it wasn't until later when I went to medical school that I learned that my Coca-Cola colored urine was probably a really, really bad sign. Luckily, I felt better over the next few days and recovered just fine. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. So for me, my first ultra race was the Leadville 100. So I went from doing a half marathon to thinking it'd be smart to do a 100 mile race, which was probably my first issue. But regardless, why not? Yeah, why not? Mind you that the the low point on this race is 10,200 feet, I believe. So it's all at high altitude as well. But anyway, so I'm prepared for the race. I'm doing all this work ahead of time, months and months of training, blah, blah, blah. And the issue that I had heard about before, and this was kind of an old thing with ultras, was that at certain aid stations, they would weigh you to make sure that you hadn't lost too much weight from your pre-waist rate. So in my mind, and apparently a lot of other runners' minds, the way around this to ensure that they didn't force you to sit at an aid station or drop from the race was, I would just drink a ton of water before I got to an aid station. And so aside from all the other issues of probably not being prepared enough from a fitness standpoint and uh, in taking enough food and all that other stuff. And also I was not acclimated for the altitude. I got to the aid station at mile, I think it was like 35 ish or 40, which is one of the first aid stations they weigh you at. And I could feel like I wasn't drinking enough, but I wasn't sure. So I pounded 
two, three bottles of water from this river that was like maybe a hundred yards prior to the aid station. I got to the aid station and I was actually up a pound and a half from my pre-waste weight. So that I clearly had taken in too much and not to, to spoil it a little bit, but this led to a pretty serious issue down in the race. And we'll get into why drinking just so much, what we call free water or water without electrolytes can lead to really bad issues and why ultimately it's important to have a plan in place prior to entering any of these endurance activities about what your hydration plan is going to be and what your electrolyte plan is going to be. Oh my gosh. Well, if that just isn't the most relatable story ever. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could say just kidding, but I've totally been there. Not running the 100 miles part, but definitely the sick part. Yeah. Okay, so we aren't all running 100 miles, but the topic of hydration, fluid maintenance, and basic homeostasis can be applicable to anyone, from those running a 5K to those weekend warriors biking 100 miles on a Saturday. So let's start with some basic physiology. Water is essential to life, at least as far as we know, but I'm pretty sure that's going to be the consensus forever. Anyway, humans are roughly 50 to 70% water by body mass. An average 160-pound male is made up of about 42 liters of water. This varies maybe 1% to 2% per day, but it's pretty tightly controlled. Now, two-thirds of this water is intracellular, meaning it's inside of the cells, and one-third of this water is extracellular, meaning outside of the cells. Now, this one-third part of the water is really the important part, and that one-third is made up of uh, water that's in the plasma and water that is interstitial, or meaning water that's just around the cells, but not in actually a blood vessel. Now, plasma makes up 25% of the extracellular volume, and this 25% of the extracellular volume is really what we're going to be talking about the most today and really what we care about. So how much water does the average person need per day? I remember my grandma always said, eight glasses of water a day. Yeah, your grandma's actually not that far off. Um, We can keep this pretty simple. You need to replace how much you use. To get a little bit more granular, your body actually does produce small amounts of water as a byproduct of energy consumption. When calories are consumed, a byproduct of these calories burned is actually H2O or water. You lose water, though, through many aspects, the most common being through respiration. When you're breathing, you know, little droplets of water come out and vapor comes out as well as through the skin and through urination, obviously. The cool thing is that the kidney can regulate how concentrated the urine is, thereby conserving as much free water. Now, remember, free water is water that's just pure water with no electrolytes, or it can release a bunch of free water. Now, for the average person not exerting themselves, the average daily deficit of water is about 64 fluid ounces per day, which is why there is this common adage of drinking eight eight ounce glasses of water per day. Now, this is 64 ounces of total fluid. This can come from water that's in food, such as fruit and veggies, not just water. Exactly. And to be honest, this number is really just a reference, but truly it's nearly impossible to set a standard for exact water needs per day. Now, the nice thing is that over hundreds of thousands of years, evolution has fine-tuned our thirst mechanisms so that rather than have to carry around a bottle of water and drink until our urine is clear, for the most part, we can just drink when we're thirsty. Our body will tell us exactly when to drink and or when to take in salt. The big exceptions to this are those in the geriatric population because the thirst mechanism dampens and those who are in endurance sports. Yeah, during heavy activity, there is an abundance of literature out there to show that thirst is not enough to ensure you are at an adequate level of hydration. 
Although the use of urine color for the assessment of hydration status is shoddy at best, but if you really want to do it right in terms of looking at urine color, it really should be following the first morning's urine sample, which is a somewhat accurate assessment of your fluid status as it equilibrates over the nighttime around a six to eight hour period. The goal for this should be kind of light to near clear, not that coat colored urine that Elena was discussing. But really this is not the best marker and there are lab tests including specific gravity and urine osmolarity that are much more accurate. Yeah, I totally remember one of my high school coaches yelling, if you're not peeing clear, you're not drinking enough water. Okay, so the key fluid loss during exercise is clearly sweat. There are a few major factors that play into how much our bodies sweat, but the most obvious factors for how much we sweat are how hot the ambient temperature is, how hard we're working, and for how long we're working. So during a 5K, while you may not be working for that long, if it's hot out and you're going nearly all out, you can be assured that you will be sweating copiously. This compared to an easy one-hour long jog and a cold Boston winter day will likely lead to less sweat production. Now with sweat, what we really care about, aside from just total fluid loss, is electrolyte loss too. We lose varying amounts of sodium when we sweat. Some people naturally excrete more sodium than others for a given amount of sweat. This variation can come from genetics, but also as people become more heat tolerant, you become more adept at conserving electrolytes and thereby conserving plasma volume. And you can become more heat tolerant by training in the heat over time? For the most part, yes, actually. However, on the whole, sweat is almost always less salty than your plasma salt concentration. Typically, what ends up getting secreted is about one-third of the concentration of what exists in the plasma. On the whole, you can say you roughly excrete about 900 to 1,000 milligrams of salt, you know, also known as sodium chloride, per one liter of water. With the above caveats in mind, there are other electrolytes excreted in your sweat, but really the sodium chloride um, or salt is the most important electrolyte that's excreted. Okay, so let's get to the meat of it. What should an athlete take in during exercise? So for the vast majority of individuals who engage in exercise of, let's say, less than three to four hours, the amount of salt loss will not likely lead to any meaningful change in plasma concentration and other downstream effects. This is because our body has a pretty amazing ability to reabsorb most of the salt that enters the sweat secretary cells prior to their release to the skin and atmosphere. Now, with that said, there is evidence that your body will better retain fluid that is drunk, which has electrolytes in it rather than just free water. This is why it is more beneficial to drink a balanced sports drink during exercise rather than just free water. This primarily has to do with how the kidney filters fluid. This is really the key for most athletes and why they should be drinking sports drinks with electrolytes. Now, for endurance athletes that engage in very long activities past three hours, such as ultra marathon races, which can be anywhere from 12, 30 hours, even more, um, electrolytes actually become very important and sports drinks are likely not enough. For these athletes, you will start to get significant amounts of salt loss. And to be clear, these electrolytes that we get, they don't need to just come from sports drinks. Oftentimes they can come from food. I always eat potatoes dipped in salt or bacon. Oh my gosh. How do you dip a potato in bacon? Oh, no. So actually, I mean, I actually have done that before as well. But really, when I get to these aid stations, it's just a bunch of smorgasbord of food. And typically, I'll have like a half a potato. There'll be like a bowl of salt. And I'll dip that wet potato in the salt. And then I'll just grab a couple slices of bacon and then shove all of that in my mouth as I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like in okay. Setting, that sounds disgusting, but in the moment, it's like the best thing in the world. No, no, I, I won't doubt you. Okay. <laughs> so if you're running a 5K or a 10K, do you need to drink anything? The short answer is no. Now, if you were taking like two hours to do this and you were doing this in the middle of August in Miami, then yes, go ahead and drink. But for most people, you don't need to supplement with any water or electrolytes. Now, for longer events, again, three to four plus hours, then we can start getting to the point where if we just drink free water with no electrolytes and we continue to sweat our small amount of electrolytes out over time, we can have a salt deficit that can lead to a clinically meaningful amount. This can lead to what's called as hyponatremia and can truly be a medical emergency. Yeah, it definitely can be. Hyponatremia literally means low sodium. Basically, it's a dilution of the sodium concentration in the plasma. So basically, you get less salty. <laughs> we don't need to get into the numbers here, but it's safe to say that there is a fairly precise range of sodium levels that our bodies need to function optimally. If the sodium's too low or too high, it can lead to various complications, including seizures, brain swelling, and cardiac arrhythmias, even death. Interestingly, for the average marathon runner, let's say four hours, it's virtually impossible to lose enough salt via sweat to become hyponatremic. What's actually happening is that you're taking in too much free water, and this makes your relative sodium concentration appear lower, which leads to the Leadville experience Justin described. Yeah, so just to circle back to this hellish Leadville 100-mile race. Now, the race is actually incredible. Just my experience that time was terrible. So I was at hour 14 of my race, and as I mentioned before, the previous two, three hours, I had been almost exclusively drinking free water in a desperate attempt to say what I thought was super hydrated and also to make weight at these aid stations. What I neglected to understand at that time was that I was driving my body's sodium concentration lower and lower by just drinking free water. Remember, I was losing nearly one to two grams of sodium an hour for many hours on end. While I never had any labs drawn, I can almost guarantee that the brain fog at hand at that time, which I have never had in any other ultra race since, was a manifestation, at least in large part, to hyponatremia. Fortunately, at the aid station, this was quickly recognized and a medic made me drink a few cups of chicken broth. Within 20 minutes, I felt significantly better. It's just wild to me how tenuous our body's electrolyte and fluid status is, and even the slightest disruption can truly throw it into a tailspin. I actually had a fellow runner rescue me with some salt or electrolyte tabs during a long run once. It's amazing how quickly the symptoms I was experiencing vanished. We actually see hyponatremia quite frequently in the emergency department. These patients will present sometimes with other complaints or with complaints such as a new seizure or a general failure to thrive. And failure to thrive is basically just the catch-all medical term for the patient has a lot going on and can't really provide for their basic activities of daily living, like food, water, and shelter. Typically, we see it in older individuals who are often on multiple medications that can disrupt the sodium balance in the body, and also whose natural thirst drive is often disrupted. We also see it in young individuals, sometimes after endurance events like marathons or after parties where they abuse the drug known as MDMA or Molly or ecstasy, which aside from causing mood and perception alterations can cause increased body temperature and thirst. People will drink liters and liters of water on ecstasy, and I've personally had my fair share of young patients come in acutely altered and their labs show very low sodium and the tox screen is positive for MDMA. 
Yeah, hyponatremia is no joke. And in the endurance world, it is really just becoming more well-established. In most ultra marathons, for example, there used to be this policy, as I mentioned, that at every aid station, they would weigh you. Uh, and if you lost a certain percentage of that body weight off your pre-waste rate, they would make you stay until you gain the weight back. You can imagine this led to loads of people, including myself, just pounding water prior to getting into aid stations to ensure I'd make weight. Well, this clearly did not work out well and led to loads of people getting pretty serious hyponatremia. Luckily, they don't do this anymore, but I still see people just chugging water prior to races, the night before and race morning, and this is definitely not supported by any evidence. Now we can definitely agree along with the literature that over the course of long endurance races, let's say those greater than four hours, that one should consume salt either through food and or a combination of sports drinks to supplement the inevitable loss from many hours of electrolyte loss through sweat. There are various ways to get electrolytes and salt tabs can work, but really it's as simple as eating some potato chips or a pickle even, and that should be plenty. The reality is you can likely trust your instinct to intake salt. Thirst is a different story, but for salt, you really can. I've often gone to an aid station and just been unable to stop eating pretzels. My body just craves salt. Amazing. So after exercise, do you need to replace your electrolyte losses? I, I mean, of course you do need to replace them, but I think taking a specific supplement is not necessary. Really, it's I think it's just keep it simple. As long as you have a balanced meal, it's not likely that these sports drinks in the post-exercise setting really add that much uh, that we can't do on our own. And if you have a balanced snack meal, this should be enough. Is there any research out there to support salt supplementation to prevent cramping during exercise? So I'm going to say no on this, and that's the short answer. Maybe we can do another podcast in the future to discuss cramping because there's just so much misinformation out there. But I could say that as of right now, there really is no definitive research to point towards any benefit of sodium supplementation to prevent muscle cramping or fix muscle cramping during physical activity. So just to summarize, eat real food. It likely has the nourishment you need to maintain salt and electrolyte balances. Yeah, I think something that I, I've only realized recently, and I, I, everyone's or a lot of people have probably heard of this book, Born to Run, but really we were kind of the humans were these like original hunter gatherers and we took part in a lot of long distance hikes and walks and even runs to you know hunt down our food and to acquire the necessary things to to live back in the you know the you know thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago and over this time our body has really evolved the mechanisms to replace the things that we lose so really just to trust your body and keep it simple so don't just chug a bunch of plain water because you think that that's the right thing to do. Trust me, I've been there. It doesn't work. Hydration is really important, not just for endurance sports, but for any sport, regular life, and also when you're sick. Drink your fluids, but don't over drink your fluids. So basically just be perfect. No, just kidding. <laughs> Finding proper fluid balances, especially for athletic endeavors, takes time and practice. Use your practices to figure out what works for you and don't try something new during a race. Fluid and electrolyte balance can be tough in endurance sports, and it can even be tough when you're just sitting at a desk all day. There undoubtedly will be trial and error for anyone in any sort of athletic activity, but hopefully this helps give you some guidance on where to start or where to make adjustments to your current routine. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. As always, please subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or on our website at www.theemergencydocs.com. 
And if you like what you hear, please consider donating by visiting our website at theemergencydocs.com. Until next time.